Good morning, Cornerstone. It is great to be with you and those who are joining us online. Uh, the last time I was here, uh, we got snowed out. And so uh, I was bringing my daughter with me this weekend, and she's like, Dad, what are the chances that there's going to be snow tomorrow? And I'm like, Adeline, it's pretty low. I think, I think we're going to be okay. So it's great to, to see you guys this time. Uh, it's my third time here. My name is Jeremy, and uh, I'm excited to join in this series that you guys are doing. We're in a series called Relentless. If I can get the slides going here, uh, and th- so this series is uh, is about the prophets, the minor prophets, in fact. And uh, this is a unique series. When I heard that Pastor Scott decided to do this, I thought you're kind of crazy because uh, the prophets are salty. I don't know if you've read it, uh, but they they don't they don't you know hold back. They just kind of say what they're going to say and. And they go for it. And uh, I was like, wow, Scott, that's crazy. And, and so I, I thought he was maybe losing it a little bit to, to want to attempt a series like this. But then I realized that he was gone the week that we were going to do Amos. And I thought maybe he's onto something. He's figured this out. He got a guest speaker in here for this weekend. So maybe he knows what he's doing. But this series is all about uh, God's relentless nature of his love for his people, uh, his pursuit of his people, and his willingness to repeat the message until they get it, right? Uh, and I love this idea of God just like, look, we're going to keep doing this over and over and over again. And I don't know about you, but I, I need those kind of reminders sometimes. I need a God that will, that will be relentless with me. And that's what we find in, in, uh, in the biblical view of God. Now, so far, if you've been in this series, you guys have covered Hosea and Joel. And today we're going to look at Amos. And so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in the Old Testament in Amos chapter 5. Uh, so I want to encourage you to go there and uh, tech team, if we can get the slides on this screen up here would be awesome. So Amos chapter 5, uh, we're going to look at uh, these different prophets. These are not just like fortune tellers. We often think of the prophets of like people who just know the future. Uh, it's not just that. These are people who are predicting what God is going to do, the direction that God is going. And, and so they're going to let people know, hey, this is what God's up to. And, and oftentimes it's a change of direction. This is what you're currently doing. That is what God wants for you. And the prophets are going to predict that. Now, we're not always good at predicting what's coming next. Uh, oftentimes, we, we get surprised by things that maybe we shouldn't have been surprised by. Uh, but we're not always great at knowing, hey, how do you anticipate what's uh, around the corner? And there's a number of great examples of this. I want to share two of my favorites with you. Uh, this one is a, uh, a review from Amazon.com. Uh, and someone had purchased hand sanitizer, and they got way more than they thought, and they wrote a one-star review. Uh, I'll read this for you. It says, uh, I gave this product one star because, uh, as displayed on the Amazon website, it is very misleading. I wanted a single bottle of hand sanitizer. It's a large bottle. So they got more than they wanted, half a gallon. I was very surprised when it arrived, and there were four huge bottles in the box. That's two gallons of hand sanitizer total. We don't use that much in a lifetime. Okay, this is great. I was even more surprised and very unhappy when I found out I could not return this item because of Amazon's policies. So I'm stuck with way too much hand sanitizer. If you need some, give me a call. Here's the best part about this. When was this posted? February 12th, 2020. Anyone know what happens the next month? (laughs) Can you imagine? Uh, This person is complaining of having too much 
hand sanitizer right before the world got into, you know, this desperate need of hand sanitizer. I just think that's, that's a funny review in hindsight. I have too much of this thing that the entire world wants. Or how about this one? Uh, this is a picture of uh, Microsoft employees uh, holding a funeral for the iPhone. Because they had just released the Windows phone and they thought it was going to be so successful that none of us would ever buy an iPhone again. Which I don't know about you, but I, I, I suspect most of us do not have a Windows phone today. But perhaps many of you have an iPhone, as do I. And so we go, yeah, maybe you missed that one. You, you weren't quite on uh, to what was going in the, in the future. And, and so sometimes we might read the Old Testament prophets and we think, oh, maybe these are just people who were really good at predicting the future. But that's not really uh, understanding what the prophets were about. See, the prophets were people given a specific message. It was God saying, all right, all right, enough's enough with this. Go and tell them this. Go and relay this message. And so you, you read throughout Scripture and you find prophets who are given a task. They are given a message. They're not just walking and going, hey, I got some opinions and I want to share some opinions. No, no. God gave them a message and they, they have to go transfer that message. And so in the book of Amos, we, we begin by learning what Amos is up to. It says, this message in verse 1 uh, was given to Amos, a shepherd from the town of Tekoa in Judah. So Amos is minding his own business. He's a shepherd. God taps him on the shoulder. And he's like, hey, I got a job for you. I got some work for you. I got a message that I need you to deliver to my people, Israel. And so Amos is like, all right, this is going to be a change of career for me. Uh, this is going to be a little unusual. Bring me out of my comfort zone. But if God asks you to do something, Amos is in. Now, a little bit of context. What was going on at, in Israel at this time? Well, Israel had grown. Uh, not only had it grown, but it was prospering. And we might think, ooh, that's, that's exciting. That's what you would want as a people, as a community. You'd want to grow. You'd want to prosper. Here's the problem, though. They got rich by exploiting the poor. That, that's how they were prospering. Now, this is not a good thing, in case you don't know how, how God uh, views history and how God views people. Uh, but when you choose to get rich at the expense of others, uh, God's not a big fan of that. And that's what Israel was doing. Uh, and, and they knew that this was a problem. And so they had to figure out, how do we justify this for ourselves? Because as God's people, they knew we shouldn't be doing what we're doing. We should not be exploiting the poor, the poor the way we are, but it's going so well for us, and we have so much to show for it. So they, they come up with a solution. How do, we, how do we feel good about this? How do we feel good about what we're doing to the poor in order for us to have more? And uh, what you find in the book of Amos is that they covered their sin with religious practices. So we know what we're doing is wrong. Let's do a bunch of religious stuff that looks good, and then we can hide behind that. And, and then we can say, look at all these other things that we're doing, and, and because we're doing all these other things, then, then God surely is not going to be really mad about what we're doing to the poor. And, and this is something that we see all throughout history, all throughout God's relationship with God's people. The uh, pastor, Bruxy Cavey, has said this, Reliance on religious traditions can create a false sense of security. It's exactly what was happening with Israel. Few people feel as spiritually safe as religious traditionalists do. 
So when you really rely on these religious things that you're doing, it can give you this sense of, I can do whatever I want. It is a false sense of security. And that is an incredible way to think about what was going on with the the nation of Israel at this time. They had a sense of security, and they shouldn't have. Uh, They should not have been as confident. Now, it looked good on the outside because from the outside looking in, you would see all this religious worship that they had. You go, look at those people. They, they are really, you know, dialed into their God. But on the inside, they were covering up something else. And they were making themselves feel good about something that they were doing that they knew was wrong. Now, let me give you a little spoiler alert. God isn't pleased. You want to understand what's going on in the book of Amos? God is watching this and God's like, no, 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 no. We're not doing this. You guys think you've, you've hacked the system. You think you've figured out a way to, to feel good about this. God isn't amused. God isn't duped by this. God's not like, well, their worship is really good, so I'll let the rest go. No, God's mad. God's bothered by it so much that God sends Amos to go address it. Hey, Amos, you're going to have to go deal with this. And so there's lots we could look at in the book of Amos. I don't have time to show you all the chapters, but I want to go to chapter 5 because that's perhaps the the most well-known section of the book of Amos. And and as a little just chunk, this kind of speaks on behalf of the whole book. And it's an incredible passage. It's a, a, a really a beautiful passage. But like uh, many of the other prophets, it might make us feel a little bit uncomfortable when we realize what God was was addressing and some overlaps into our own uh, context today, which we'll see in just a moment. So if you're with me in Amos chapter 5, we're going to begin reading in verse 21. This is God speaking to the people of Israel. This is what God says. I hate all your show and pretense. The hypocrisy of your religious festivals and your solemn assemblies. Wow, God, how do you really feel? Like, we we couldn't figure that out. I will not accept your burnt offerings and your grain offerings. I won't even notice all of your choice peace offerings. Now again, in this culture, uh, you would physically make sacrifices. You'd bring offerings to God. That was part of, uh, of your worship. And God's like, I'm not accepting any of it. You can keep bringing all these offerings. None of it counts uh, with me. I, I, I won't accept any of this. Verse 23. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. Isn't that an interesting phrase. Away with that. I can't even stand to hear you sing anymore. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. Now, at first, you may go, whoa, that's like a, that's a 180 that, that happens in those two verses. But notice what, what God is saying. I don't want your worship. I don't want it. Because your worship is hollow. It is simply covering up all of these things that you are doing. And he says, rather than all of that, rather than the offerings, rather than the songs, rather than all this stuff that you're doing, I would rather there be justice among you. I I would rather there be righteous living, that you actually followed me in the way that you treated the people around you. And and again, you go, wow, these are some strong words from God. Now I want you to notice, their sin and their worship were connected. That's kind of a strange idea, right? Their sin and their worship 
were connected. They were, were uh, basically hiding their sin behind their worship. Or to say it this way, Israel used their worship to hide their abuse of justice. They, they link these together. We know we're abusing justice. We know what we're doing is wrong. Let's be really good at worshiping to cover it up. And so they had connected these two ideas. And few things are more appalling to God than this. Than, than literally saying, hey, I'm going to double down. Rather than realizing what I'm doing is wrong and stopping it, I'm going to cover it up with religious stuff, with worship. I'm going to cover it up with a fake expression to God. And God is not pleased. And Amos is sent to tell him, hey, uh, guys, this, this isn't working. Like, I, I don't know if you think you've, con- you've convinced God of this. I don't know if you think you've duped God. Um, God isn't amused. He's not listening. He's not accepting any of this. God doesn't want this. Rather, he wants justice. And Amos gets to come and say, hey, I know everything looks good. I know you guys are like thriving. You're prospering. Everything's going well. I know all of that. But there's something wrong. It's not okay. And you all think it's okay, but it's not okay. And I was thinking about what would be a, maybe a more modern day parallel to help us understand the role that Amos gets asked to do. And, and we could compare Amos to uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. We could say, hey, these are two people that basically had to come in and say, your standard of normal isn't okay. Right? These are, had prophetic voices. Hey, what you think is okay, what you think is normal isn't okay. Something's got to change. And in both uh, situations, there was this reaction to, no, 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 who are you to tell us that things have to change? We, we're fine with the way things are. And in fact, there is uh, a quote from uh, Martin Luther King where it almost sounds as if he's channeling, you know, his inner Amos uh, in the way that he says this. Here's one of his quotes. He says, a religion that professes a concern for the souls of men and is not equally concerned about the slums that damn them, the economic conditions that strangle them, and the social conditions that cripple them is a spiritually moribund religion. A religion that just looks good, that just sounds good, that just says the right things without actually producing anything is a spiritually more abound religion. It is a hollow, empty religion. It's a very similar message to the book of Amos. Hey, this, this religion that you guys have may look great, but there's nothing to it. And, and so you have convinced yourself of how good it is, but it's, it's not. And so if you look throughout the book, Israel had convinced themselves of a powerful delusion that's tempting for us today as well. If our lo- worship looks good, we can do whatever we want. This is what they had convinced themselves. If our worship looks good, if we look the part, if we know how to, how to play the role, then we can do whatever we want. And they had convinced themselves that this would work. God had to convince them otherwise. Now, this was not a new temptation uh, in the book of Amos. You see this throughout the scriptures. And it didn't end after the book of Amos, in case you're wondering. Did Amos finally solve this problem? No, uh, he didn't. He, he addressed it. This continued to be a problem. In fact, if you fast forward into the New Testament, uh, Jesus had to deal with this same issue. Jesus had to deal with people who were hiding behind religion and covering up the way that they treated one another, the way that they abused one another. In fact, I want to show you one example of this. In Luke chapter 6, you have Jesus dealing with religious people and dealing with the same exact thing that you find 
throughout the book of Amos. This is what it says in Luke 6, verse 6. On another Sabbath day, a man with a deformed right hand was in the synagogue while Jesus was teaching. Okay, the synagogue is where the, the Jews would come for worship. Uh, Jesus is teaching. This is religious worship experience. They're, they're, they're doing it, right? And this guy is in there, and he's got a, a deformed hand. Now, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Notice this. Oh, if, if he heals this guy, we've got him. We're going to bust him. Why? Because there's a religious rule. You cannot work on the Sabbath. And it's the Sabbath. And so they know they've got Jesus. That, that if, he, if he even extends you know, his healing power to this guy, they're going to bust him. Because that would be against the religious rules. Verse 8. But Jesus knew their thoughts. Which is uh, always an advantage for Jesus and a disadvantage for those who are trying to trick him. He said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. So the man came forward. I love this moment from Jesus. Jesus knows. He literally can read minds. He knows what they're all thinking. And he's like, oh, they think they're, they're going to trap me. They think that because there are these religious rules that I cannot heal this person. Now you might think Jesus is going to like, hey, uh, meet me afterward in the lobby and I'll heal your hand then. But I don't want to make a scene. You know, let's just be polite. No, Jesus is like, hey, come up here, stand on the stage in front of everyone. Like he interrupts the whole worship experience in the middle of the synagogue. Hey, come on up. I want everyone to see what's about to happen. Jesus is the person who points out the elephant in the room always. Hey, everyone's thinking it. No one wants to say it. Jesus is like, come on up. I, I want what's about to happen. I want every single person to see it. And I want you to know this is not accidental. This is very intentional what's about to happen next. And so he just calls the guy right up. And then verse 9. Then Jesus said to his critics, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save a life or to destroy it? Now Jesus is, is impromptu teaching. All right, now we're going we're gonna to go off script here a little bit. Let me ask you all a question because they're all judging. They're all getting ready to pounce on him. And he starts going, hey, well, what is worship about? What is this whole religious thing about? What are we doing here? What's really the point of all of this? Verse 10. He looked around at them one by one. Can you imagine that? Jesus just literally going down. I'm going to make eye contact with all of you. You know what I mean? Like, like everyone there is like, whoa, he just, he just looked at me. Looks at them. And then he says, man, hold out your hand. Oh, I just can imagine this moment. I can imagine everyone's heart just beating. Is he about to do this? Is he about to heal this guy on the Sabbath in a synagogue? I mean, this is against the rules. Doesn't Jesus know this? And Jesus makes sure every, he makes eye contact with every single person. They're all looking at him. This guy is standing in front of them. No one can miss this moment. And then he says, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. They all watch. This guy holds his hand out and in front of their eyes, his hand is healed. At this, the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage and began to discuss what to do with him. I want you to think about what would your reaction be if you were in that moment? Now, you might think, oh, that would be so cool to see. 
Wouldn't that be so cool to watch Jesus heal someone, to, to see Jesus' power like that? But here's what we notice in the text. <clears throat> How can you watch someone be healed and then be wild with rage? That's what the text says. That the reaction the religious people had, they were wild with rage. They weren't in awe. They weren't worshiping Jesus. They weren't going, wow, we got to witness something incredible today. They were wild with rage. Why? Because Jesus didn't play by the rules, the religious rules. Jesus, there are ways that we do this, and you're not playing along. And, and see, what had happened is the rules always were above people. And, and Jesus flipped it. The rules never meant more to Jesus than people did. And so Jesus constantly broke religious rules, broke the rules of worship over and over again in, in the way that he treated people. And it is the, the opposite of what you find Amos trying to address, right? These people who are hiding behind their worship. Jesus is doing just the opposite. He's going, look, I'm always going to put people above this. And Jesus is showing us a different way to live. Now, let's make this a little bit personal. It's tempting to choose worship over justice. It's tempting when the year Israel and Amos' time, Israel and Jesus' time, it's tempting for us today as well because it's far easier to choose worship. See, worship you can feel good at. Right? You can feel like, I've got that figured out. I've got that dialed in. And that makes you feel good about yourself. But justice, justice is hard. Justice is tricky. Justice is nebulous. Justice often doesn't give you that warm, fuzzy feeling. You often don't know, am I, am I doing the right work? Is this successful or not? Is it effective? See, justice is messy because it involves getting into people's lives. It involves trying to right wrongs. And, and that's a lot harder to do than, than just focusing on worship. But there are numbers of ways that, that we fall into this same temptation today. Let me give you a few examples. We can focus on having the right theology. Now, I've grown up in the church. My dad's a, a pastor, preacher. Uh, so I've seen the church all my life. And I've noticed how there are people that, that in their mind, the, the goal of being a Christian is to somehow have perfect theology, whatever that would mean, right? That they spend their entire life refining their theology and then correcting anyone around them whenever they're wrong and making sure they know, here are the right answers and you, you are wrong. Th these are all the right answers. As if having the right theology is the best expression of what it could look like to follow Jesus. That's one way that we can get tempted. We can focus on singing incredible songs. And again, I loved our worship today. That was incredible. And it's real easy to go, that's all it is. Let's just get wrapped up in that moment. Let's have incredible worship experiences. Let's have incredible songs that we sing, those, those moments, because it feels, it feels so good. And, and I feel connected with Jesus. And let's just, like everything else can be second to that. Let's put that, that's the goal. Of following Jesus. Let's just, let's just have really good worship experiences. Or here's one, and this is going to maybe be uncomfortable for a few of you. Having a love for the Bible itself. You go, whoa, what do you, what do you mean? See, I, I've seen a lot of Christians, we, we fall in love with the Bible. Not, not the God of the Bible, the, the Bible itself. And we, we memorize it, and we read it, and we pour over it. And, and we go, this is what it means 
to follow Jesus. It's just about the Bible. And if I understand the Bible better than anyone else, now, please hear me. I have a master's degree in the Bible. I love the Bible. But having a love for the Bible itself is a temptation when you choose that above other things. And what we learn from the book of Amos, what we learn from what God is trying to address with his people is that justice can never be separate from these things. And so to go through the list I just gave you, I would say this. Theology without justice is not worship. If you have amazingly accurate theology, you you know what God is really like, but you don't have a sense of justice. You don't have a desire for justice. You have missed a huge part of God. You have missed a huge part of the heart of God. Singing without justice is not worship. Yeah, it is. No, no, it's, it's not. If you just have singing and, and you remove any sense of justice from any sense of let's live this out, let's have righteous living in this. If you remove that, it, it's not worship. And loving the Bible without justice is not worship. Now, again, you see this all throughout Scripture, but this can be uncomfortable for us. To say, well, all these things are good and they are good. But if you remove them from the way that we live this out, especially for the marginalized around us, the hurting around us, the displaced around us, when you remove your sense of worship from that, you are missing something fundamental to the heart of God. Proverbs 14.31 says this, If you oppress poor people, you insult the God who made them. But kindness shown to the poor is an act of worship. You ever thought about worship in those terms? Kindness shown to the poor is an act of worship because God's heart is tied to them. God's heart is tied to oppressed people, to hurting people, to marginalized people. And when you love them, when you sacrifice, when you extend yourself in solidarity with them, it is an act of worship. See, the, the message we learned from Amos is still applicable for us today. And if you're taking notes, here's a big idea I'd encourage you to write down. That the people who worship God should be the people who care about justice. It, it should be absolutely connected. And again, if you read throughout the book of Amos, this is the point God's making. If you want to care about worship, if you want to care about God, that's awesome. Then you should also be the person that cares about justice. Those should naturally go together and yet, unfortunately, oftentimes we don't associate those together. Those sound weird together. Like, why would you mix this and this? And all throughout Scripture, and particularly in the book of Amos, this is the point. Connect them. Do not separate these two. They go together, and they should go together. One of my friends, a pastor named Palmer, uh, says this. In the end, we've manufactured a brand of Christianity that is safe, isolated, and dispassionate, about the wrong in the world, so complacent people can be That is incredibly convicting. We have created a version of Christianity that removes justice so complacent Christians can be comfortable. That was going on in Israel when Amos gets to the task. Hey, go tell these people who are complacent, who are comfortable with what they're doing, that they shouldn't be comfortable. That is a false sense of security. As God says, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. 
So let me give you some next steps as you process. Uh, what do we do with a message like this? Number one, take a self-assessment on how much justice is a priority in your life. I think it begins there to go, all right, God, let's, let's evaluate how much do I currently care about justice work? And, and just do an inventory. Like, what are you doing in your life right now that you would say, this is justice. This is me working on behalf of those who are marginalized, oppressed, uh, displaced, hurting. Like, what am I doing to, to be in connection with them? And just spend some time. And maybe you'll go, hey, there's, there's some really cool things I'm doing. And you, you might be able to, 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 you know, make a list of some of those things and go, that, this is cool. Maybe you're going to go, I, I can't think of anything. I don't really know any way that I'm, I'm, I'm you know, uh, really connecting with people who are hurting in that way. And, and so maybe you go, maybe there's some room there in, in your connection of justice. You, you're here, you're at a worship service, that's awesome. Uh, so how do we connect this to the justice part, to the other part of what God is saying? How do we make sure we're, we're not choosing this over that, the way that Israel was doing? Number two, pray about ways to get more involved in justice work today. The best thing I know to do is go, all right, God, what do you want me to care about? God, what am I not currently seeing? What am I not currently moved by that you would want me to be moved by, that you would want me to care about? And, and so just, you can pray, God, would you put someone on my heart? Would you put a group of people on my heart? Would you put a, a, a problem in the world today on my heart? Would you put something on my heart that is on your heart that you want me to be passionate about that maybe I'm not passionate about right now? It's a great way to connect your heart to the heart of God. And again, you go, I don't know where to begin. Just ask God to show you. I think Jesus will, will show you all kinds of things all around you. You can find things down the street probably. You can find things in our state, things in our country, things in our world. You can go, hey, oh God, what, what do you care about that, that I could be more involved in? I think God will, will answer that. And then three, meditate and memorize Amos 5.24. What would it look like to have that in our minds that, hey, worship isn't just the religious stuff that we do, the, the spiritual stuff that makes us feel good. Worship is also justice. It is righteous living. It is when we live out this message because we know God's heart is connected to these people. So how do we keep that fresh in our minds? I want to close with something. It's a quote that uh, the pastor Irma McManus has said, and this quote uh, puts this message into modern-day context. And I love the way that we can see that. These messages throughout Scripture, what the prophets were addressing, are parts of the human condition. These are not anomalies that one time, at one point in history, someone dealt with and has never dealt with again. These are things that we go, yeah, I can see that in my life. I can see how I, I deal with that as well. And we get to see how this message continues for us today. Here's what Erwin McManus says, and I'll close with this. 2,000 years ago, God started a revolt against the religion that he started. So don't ever to cause a groundswell movement against churches and Christian institutions that bear his name. If he was willing to turn Judaism upside down, don't think for a moment that our institutions are safe from a divine revolt. I am convinced that even now, there are multitudes of followers of Jesus Christ who are sick and tired of the church playing games and playing down the call of God. 
My travels only confirm that the murmurings of revolution are everywhere. I am convinced that there is an uprising in the works and that no one less than God is behind it. Will we be a part of it as well? Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, as we process through your heart for justice, may we find ourselves in the story of Amos. May we recognize how this is a temptation for us as well to choose worship over everything else. And yet, may we be the ones who choose worship and justice because we know that's where your heart is. We know that's what matters most to you. So may we be the ones who live differently, who treat others differently, who care about people differently precisely because of our worship. May it never just be about singing or about Sundays or about something that we do that gives us a false sense of security, but may it naturally be a part of our life of how we, we tap into your heart, of how we care about the people that you care about. And so may you give us a robust understanding of worship, of what it means to live righteously, what it means for, for rivers of justice to flow. May we be the people that make that happen. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.